Amber, what are you drinking tonight? Well, Amanda, today's day 23. No alcohol, so I've got Ozarka water out of Texas. That's high quality H2O. That's right. What okay. are you drinking, Amanda? I am packing my life right now for my big move. And so I'm actually not drinking tonight either. I have some ginger mint tea. That sounds like calming. It is calming. It and is. it's cold outside, so it works. Mm-hmm. And the ginger is a little bit spicy, so you still get that like perk. Yeah, ginger shit. I like ginger ale, but I don't. That's about it. Yeah, I like all things ginger. Makes me happy. Welcome to this episode of Veterans Drinking Vodka. We believe that every veteran has a story to tell, and we are here to tell them. We have found that being a service member was easy, but being a veteran can be very hard. In this episode, we are talking to Jeremy Hale. He served in the United States Army from 2007 to 2012 as a 13 Bravo artillery and route clearance driver. How are you doing today, Jeremy, and what are you drinking? I'm doing great today, and I am drinking sweet tea. I've been sober since 2012. That's awesome. That is super awesome. And I think this is our first episode, our first uh, dry episode. I think so. Could be a trend. Yeah. I'm not opposed to it. Congratulations on your sobriety as well, Jeremy. Yes. That's super awesome. I'm not, I'm drinking again in April. I stopped January 5th. So uh, (laughs) I just needed to chill out for a little while. Hey, everyone needs a break. (laughs) Yeah. My liver, especially. True story. True story. Working from home and having life happen while you're working from home and the stressors of all that. Yeah. It was super easy to drink. Yeah. Especially when you don't have to go anywhere and it's all right there. (laughs) However, I being in the military, it was like being in the military. You get up for PT in the morning, have that morning beer and then go run. (laughs) Yep. Well, because you were usually still drunk from the night before. Exactly. So you need that edge off. And my thing, I I would always smoke. I smoked Newports when I was in A school in Pensacola. And I used to smoke two packs a day. But I would have, I'd get up, get ready for PT, go down smoke. And you're not supposed to smoke in the smoke pit in your PT year. But ain't nobody else up. No one's paying attention to you during that time. I used to smoke before we, we'd go muster for PT. We'd come back. I'd smoke before we went upstairs to shower and get ready to go to the chow hall. And then uh, get ready, come down, smoke again. If I made it to breakfast. And then, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time smoking. I spent more, I think I spent more time smoking in the military than I did drinking. It's oh, we awful. all did. <laughs> but and there's some, like, at the air traffic controller though that's one of the ways you were guaranteed a break I whether you were on short duty or on the boat <laughs> never smoked i could keep well, up quit. the best of them on some vodka but i i never picked up the smoking habit i'm just a vaping now which i'm proud of that too that's been 20 some days also awesome i would though still take breaks and go hang out in the smoke pit because that's where everything got done exactly <laughs> yep like i never smoked but i hung out there like a champ Second hand is probably gonna kill me, lung cancer or something. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get lung cancer and be like, I've never smoked a day in my life. What are you talking about? It's gonna be all those yeah. all those hangouts in the smoke pit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but that's where things got done. 
we would like to give a huge thanks to Rafa 180. Rafa 180 offers pure medicinal CBD and products made locally. They walk alongside individuals to achieve a healthy lifestyle with options needed by each person. You can learn more about them on Facebook at Rafa CBD, their website www.rafa180.com or email at rafacbd at gmail.com. They truly believe your journey matters. All right, Jeremy, can you tell us where you're from and a little bit about how your story started? Well, I'm from San Angelo, Texas, and my story started in October of 2007. I was in a lot of trouble with the law. I mean, a lot. I used to change license plates on vehicles and they would sit outside of my house. They would go run down my mom. And finally, I got taken in and a judge said, I'll give you an option. You can have an ankle monitor in jail or you can go to the military, but you got to sign the contract today. So I signed the contract on the 16th and I shipped on the 17th. And that's the way it's been ever since. Have any regrets? No, no regrets because it completely changed my outlook on where I was going. I would be in prison right now if I kept on my path. Yeah. So it pretty much saved your life. Yeah, pretty much. So Jeremy, you told us why you ended up getting into the army. What made you decide to do 13 Bravo or was that really not a choice? It was a, here you go. Well, I signed on with the army. I have an older brother who went to the Marines and I hate him and he hates me. So we wouldn't get along. So I went to the army and, uh, I chose artillery because I really like to blow things up and he was showing me pictures. You get to blow things up. You can go engineers or you can go artillery. I said, well, which one will get me there quicker? And he said artillery. So I signed on for artillery and then they gave me a huge bonus on top of it that I had no idea they were going to do. Well, that's kind of a silver lining. <laughs> yeah. You're like, man, I made a good choice with that judge. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I get to only did I stay and I out of this. Like what? Right. <laughs> I stayed out of prison and made money. Right. Well, right out of AIT, the school, my secondary school after basic, I bought and paid off my truck before I even got to my unit. So people were like, how the hell did you do that? I said, I got a bonus. And they were all confused as how I did it. Oh, I'm sure some people were questioning due to your past. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's nice, though. Good. Good for you. You're like, Uncle Sam bought and paid for this truck. <laughs> You're damn right. <laughs> That's right. Uncle Sam. He's the best uncle ever. So, Jeremy, what were your duty stations, and did you have a favorite one? Well, my basic was at Fort Leonard Wood, and I hated that place. Uh, Everybody. Then knows. I went to Fort Sill for my school and it was a shithole like literal i mean pile of shit and then uh i thought that was bad and they sent me to fort hood oh no we don't know about fort hood that is not a place to go right now when i was at fort hood i was on station for three months before we shipped to afghanistan so I got to my unit. They handed me my orders for deployment. Like I signed in and they handed me the orders. That's how I found out. 
(laughs) Then we did a 15 month deployment overseas. When you came back, you just stayed at um, Fort Hood? No, when we came back, uh, we were at Fort Hood for the 90 days, the regression period, whatever, after deployment. And then I was sent to Fort Knox the day after the Fort Hood shooting happened. So I was there for the Fort Hood shooting. And then the next day I traveled to Fort Knox. I guess you could have left the day before and that probably would have been a little bit better as far as. It was hard to get out of there when it was all locked down, but right. I didn't have a like I'm on orders. I gotta go. Uh-huh. Let me out. Let me out, please. Out of all of those wonderful places that the army stuck you, <laughs> what was there a favorite? Or a, a one that you liked the better most- correct? I, I would say that the best one out of it was Fort Knox because I knew that was the last place I was going to be and I couldn't deploy because I didn't have enough time left. Right. So, so you could kind of chill out, not be on edge, waiting to leave again. Right. Because when they got to Fort Knox, we stayed there 90 days and my unit deployed again. Ooh. So it they was didn't try talking quick. you in? Oh, they tried. I wasn't going to go. Done. 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 Time to go. For sure. Y'all gave me shit places to go and you want me to stay? Not happening. I scheduled my shoulder surgery a week before they shipped. (laughs) So I played it out. So 100% not going. (laughs) Exactly. Even if they said, I don't give a shit, you're going for two weeks. I said, "Uh -uh, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. You're like, (laughs) I got this shoulder surgery. I'm still in recovery. Yep. I just did 15 months over there. Like, Come on now. Yeah. I think that's one of the most interesting things talking to different people, though, is that sometimes they they deploy and then they come back and then they don't deploy again for another year or two. Whereas Mm. had you stayed in, you would have done basically back to back deployments. Six months in between. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a lot. Yeah, uh, the unit that I was assigned to, they came back after that second deployment and they were back 60 days before they sent them again for another year. So that's three years overseas in a matter of four years time. Yeah, that's and then they wonder why people come back fucked up. Exactly. Which we had a lengthy discussion with one of our previous guests about that. Can't wait for that episode to drop. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> they uh, text me all the time saying, you know, how do you do it? How do you keep up with it? And I'm like, you just got to talk to someone. It doesn't have to be a counselor, but you got to talk to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to have it in your head all the time with nothing to do. Right. Yep. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Exactly. That's I had a counselor one time tell me that. Even if I couldn't get to a mental health professional but I didn't want to talk to anyone I knew just go to a bus stop. Like someone will always be there to listen to you because they're just sitting there too. Like go to a bus stop and just dump on them because they don't know you. You'll never see them again. Like 
It'll be fine. I'm just thinking about Dallas. I'm thinking about bus stops in Dallas right now. Like, I don't know if I'd ever want to talk to any of those people, whether I was going to see them again or not. I mean, they're probably high as a kite, so they wouldn't remember the conversation anyways. True. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably thinking, oh, I got to get some more weed. This bitch talking to me and I don't know what she's saying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you walk away feeling better because you were able to to put that on someone else, that it's not going to affect them the same way that it affects you. So. I was like, that's some interesting advice. Like, I would have never thought to do that, but good looking out. They were like, go to a bus stop, go to a social event, go to go anywhere where you're going to see people you're never going to see again and just find someone that'll listen. Exactly. It's like, okay. So I started a podcast. Now everyone gets to listen to me. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Schwartz Davidson Law is a Texas-based veteran-friendly law firm. Credit and debt is a big game and one rigged for you to lose. The system's designed to keep you in it, spending money and juggling different types of accounts so lenders feel more comfortable lending you money. Worse credit equals worse rates, and there's no shortage of companies trying to collect. Negative reporting is an attempt to collect a debt. So what happens when a debt collector or credit bureau makes a mistake? What happens when they refuse to fix it? That's when it's time to lawyer up with Schwartz-Davidson Law. Call the folks who started in credit restoration, got a law degree, and have been holding the credit bureau's feet to the fire to protect consumers and help you take hold of your financial future instead of letting the anxiety of it run you. How do you get a debt collector to stop calling? Let them know you've got an attorney. How do you get the best deal on a settlement? With an attorney. You don't have to break the bank to fix your credit or deal with debt collectors. Contact the attorneys at Schwartz Davidson Law for a free consultation and let us go to battle for you. We're here when you need us. Sounds good. Stop it. <laughs> Do you have a favorite active duty story you can tell us? Let's see. Where was that? I would say Fort Hood when we stole a Bradley and took it off post. I feel like you're we the were... first one to steal a Bradley, but I'm pretty sure you're the first one to do it in the states well i'm not the first one off of fort hood to do it i'll tell you that probably not it's the first one that's told us about it (laughs) right well the backside of fort hood goes into belton and into the shooting range for artillery and tanks and uh it's like sixty thousand acres back there well there's a back road that goes around the lake and drops you off in Belton, Texas. And it's about 25 miles down the interstate from the front gate of Fort Hood. So we found out about it. We took a Bradley and we went to Belton and went to the club, got shit faced drunk there, and then drove it back through the back roads and came in the back gate. And they were asking us where our unit was. I said, they already came ahead of us. We're just trying to catch up with them. This had a breakdown and we got to get to the motor pool. And they just let us drive right on. It was awesome. That's fabulous. That's so fabulous. Fort Hood. That's not the first story we've heard about vehicles being stolen, though. No. Oh, we used to take five tons and go on beer runs in town. I feel like that's one of the most favorite things for veterans to do is to steal vehicles. While they were active. Yes. While they were active duty. Yes. Yes. At Fort Knox, we had a guy in our unit. He got really high one night on heroin and he stole an M1A1 Abrams 
And he was driving around the post with it, and they were chasing him with these little bitty cop cars. <laughs> so they brought another tank, another Abrams, and put it in the road, and he rammed into it, and it finally stopped it. Wow. Uh, he was so high, he had no clue. Right. Did he get the big chicken dinner? Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> that's a rough one. I think, I'm trying to think if I've ever stolen a vehicle. I 100% never have stolen a vehicle. No, we did. We used to take the the duty van that was our mobile tower at Whippy Island all the time and go do shenanigans. We'd be like, we'll just take the van. The duty van at NTC in California when we went to the National Training Center. <laughs> they told us that we had to take a guy to Las Vegas to get on an airplane and send him home. They didn't tell us when we had to be back. So we spent three days in Vegas on the strip <laughs> before anyone even called. <laughs> and all they wanted to know is where we parked the van because they thought we were back. You're like, well, uh, uh, um, we'll be back in about five hours. In about exactly. five hours, it'll be, it'll be right here. It'll be yeah. At the yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We had a little duty truck at Whidbey Island that was a, I want to say it was like an S10, like a little beater truck, man. And so we romped that thing everywhere like it was cool. Half the time, no one knew where it was. We'd be like, where's the duty truck? They'd be like, so-and-so took it. You get it back, like the tires would be flat. The blinkers wouldn't work. Like, nope. <laughs> Treat know. it like a rental car. Man, that thing was, <laughs> that thing put up it, hey. If you ever want to buy a truck, we didn't, have, we didn't have a duty van at North Island, did we? I don't think we did. I don't ever remember going anywhere with all of us in one vehicle. I don't think so. Maybe we didn't. I don't think we did. We didn't have a mobile tower there? I don't. I, I think we used, would use Jim John's truck. Yeah, we would just use, like, we'd go to the air terminal and steal one of theirs. Yeah, I don't think we had our own. We didn't have to drive around very often. It would be Island. We did some cool stuff, but North Island, we didn't do much on the airfield. Yeah, no, we really did. Island, We were always out because we had coyotes up there. So we'd have to take the duty truck and go chase off the coyotes all the time. They got off the runway. <laughs> yeah. So they would get off the runway. And then the other thing that we would do is we would go out with the crash crew. And cause we had a resting gear at Whidbey Island. We didn't have it at North Island, but we had a resting gear at North Island. So that the, what did we have? The EA6s back when, you know, they were cool. So they could practice carrier landings and they could, you know, do the tail hooks and catch them and all that stuff. And the fire department had to know how to reset them quickly so that the next one coming in could do it. And so they had a tail hook on their fire truck and they go out there and trip the gear and run drills to put it back together. That was pretty fun. We were, they'd let us drive the fire truck sometimes with the tail hook. That was crazy. I was like, well, this is fun. 19 years old out there on an airfield driving a fire truck with a tail hook. Yeah, I was really surprised at what you could get away with when you're so young in the military. <laughs> it's really crazy how unsupervised you really are. Mm -hmm. And how, like, you can do things in the military that you could never do in civilian life. Exactly. And it's socially acceptable. It is. Yep. We, we stole another thing we did at Whidbey. Man, we had so much fun at Whidbey Island. So there's base operations because we were air traffic controllers. 
at the top of the, this giant hill, right? Giant hill. And it had these steep stairs that went down to the airfield, which is like where the air terminal was. So we had a DC nine that had come in and it snowed that day and we had the overnight watch. So we stole the engine cover from the DC nine and used it as a sled. That was wild. It was a master chief that was there, but they were reserves. And so they were on the desk and they're like, have fun. It was like, she didn't care. She was like, I'm just here to, to do my time. So she watched the phones for us and we went out there and got into all kinds of shenanigans with that uh, engine cover. It's a miracle. I'm still alive. Right. I look at it the same way. (laughs) We were up to some stuff. I feel like it's probably a good thing. We were only stationed together once. I feel like that's a very true statement. (laughs) 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 Oh my goodness. Absolutely. So Jeremy, eventually though, you do have to give up all those shenanigans that we're able to get away with on a regular basis and rejoin the real world, AKA become a veteran. So how was your transition from active duty to veteran life? Well, I got out in 2012 and nobody had told me anything about the VA. Nobody told me about, you know, go to school, go do this and improve your life. So they sent me home. And once I got home, I was just sitting there going, what the hell do I do? I have no income. I have no job skills. You know, I have nothing. So it took me a while of trying to figure it out to realize that the VA is the way I need to go. But Nobody had told me about it until I met a Vietnam veteran, and he said, go to the VA, take your DD-214 on your paperwork, and get yourself in the system. Once I did that, it was just a major eye-opener, and they immediately had me assessed and everything, and it came about where they just said, okay, you're unemployable just because of your mental status. We can't make you get a job, so... That immediately put me to 100%. So now I live off of that and do what I do on my own. Did you ever, when when you were back home and not knowing what to do, did you ever think about getting back into the things that you did before you left for the Army? Yes, I did. <clears throat> and there were a couple of times I was real close to going down that path and stealing cars and, you know, robbing people and doing stupid shit like I used to do. But I kept remembering that that judge gave me my only chance. So I had to think about it real hard before I did anything stupid, but that made me start drinking a lot to deal with issues. Right. Cause I had no other outlet. I had no idea. So I became a really heavy alcoholic and even worse than when I was in the military, we used to be horrible in the military. You just drink 24 seven, but it became too expensive. Yeah, exactly. And still function. And it was socially acceptable. Exactly. You drink till six, run PT and drink till 6 a.m. the next day. Yeah, that was it. You're lucky if you get a nap. What took me out of the alcoholism was one of my friends that I was deployed with 
was drinking and driving and wrapped his truck around a pole and it killed him. Mm. So that day is when I decided, you know, I got to change it. I'm being sober now and I've been sober ever since. Now I'll have a beer here and there, but I never went back to the military drinking life. That's awesome. So I will, we will do that. Can we cheers to journey yeah. sobriety? Yes, we can. We will cheers to that. Cheers. That's amazing. It's amazing to come from that rock bottom spot and just pull yourself out. It took a lot. It took a mighty, mighty lot. Absolutely. How are you doing now? Well, now I have since turned my life around, so to speak. Uh, I have people contact me all the time asking me, you know, for advice. I had a veteran the other day ask me if uh, I'd be able to come up there and just sit on his porch with him for a week. I said, I'd try. I can't guarantee it. And he told me he lives in Minnesota and said, I'm not coming in the winter. (laughs) I don't blame you on that porch in the winter in Minnesota. I lived in Chicago for a year. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I was in boot camp in Chicago. I'm not doing that. (laughs) Tell him to invite you up in the spring or the summer. I told him I'd come in the summer, but there's no ice on a lake and there's no snow on the ground. That's when I'll come. That's right. It's beautiful. You should have told him to come on down to Texas. Right. They come sit on my porch. (laughs) Right. I've invited people to come over, but mostly all they do is contact me to talk because on TikTok, I've started opening up about PTSD and how veterans deal with it, how family members should expect their veterans to act on holidays and get togethers and crowds and, you know, everyday things that regular people don't think about. They're just like, oh, we're going to the movies. Well, they don't realize at the movies, we're looking for exits and entrances, people behind us, people in front of us, all around us. Why the projector is making that noise, you know? It's a lot more to it that people don't understand. So that's the route I've been taking is trying to help people figure out where to go next, what steps they need to do, and their families to say, okay, now I realize why he acts that way, even though he hasn't said anything. So that's where I'm at now. Yeah, I think that the realization over the last few years that treatment or education for the families is just as important as treatment and education for the veterans has made tremendous strides. Yes, I agree. It's a lot that families just don't understand on why we act the way we act. Right. They just don't get it. And it's normal for us to act like that, or it's normal for our peers, which are other veterans to see those oddities and not think that they're weird. But the people that don't come from that same background, look at you like, what is <laughs> yeah. My mom had the biggest realization of her life a couple years ago when I moved into the house I'm at now. I have a neighbor who's a veteran, too, and I call him a communist douchebag. So he was outside and she was with me and I said, what's up, you communist douchebag? And she goes, shut your damn mouth and don't talk to people like that. I was like, he's a veteran. It's okay. I don't care. I didn't raise you like that. I was like, well, mom doesn't understand. Okay. That's, we run into that so often in our day-to-day lives. I know when I worked exactly. at the railroad, I used to work with this kid. I say kid, he's older than me. But I used to work with this kid that 
was also a veteran. And so he'd come in and he'd just say like some off the wall, like crazy stuff to me. And we were a team, like we ran a train together. Like I was the engineer, he was my conductor and I'd like shoot it right back. And they'd be like, like people thought we hated each other. Right. We talked to each other. And then one day someone was like, why do you guys hate each other? And we had to be like, Oh no, we don't. That's just how veterans talk to each other. It was really Mm -hmm. confusing for them because we were so, I don't know if vulgar is the right word, but we were definitely mean to each other, but we both said it with a smile and a twinkle in our eye. And we like, we knew we weren't being mean to each other. We were just being normal, but like to anyone outside looking in, that was not a normal way to interact with a person. Yeah. They're starting to pull their phones out, hoping you're going to fight. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But then they would be like, how are you guys so angry with each other, but you never have any incidents out on the train. And I'm like, well, because we know how to read each other at the same time, which is really nice. Like he was one of my very favorite people to work with because with just a look or a movement, like we both knew where we needed to be and how we needed to handle a situation. And it was mm-hmm. pretty, like all the time people were like, how are you not having incidents when another train crew is calling the police like every single day on the same routes? We're like, we don't know. We just handle our stuff. I don't know. Right. Why are they having so many? Cause we are fine. <laughs> My favorite thing to tell people is fuck around and find out. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll treat you nice and be nice to you until you cross my path. Mm -hmm. And then it's game on. Yeah. Yeah. I'll belittle you until you can't come to work anymore because you're crying because you're coming to work. Yeah, for sure. I get all the time. You need to be nicer to people. And I'm like, I haven't even started. Like I am being nice. I am. (laughs) Like, how am I, how can I be nicer? I don't know. So I guess it's just like that bluntness and that like, whatever, that the military yeah. puts into you and regular tell it how it is and live your life. Yep. Yeah. And do your job. Like, that's all I want you to do. I'm going to tell you what I expect. And then I expect you to do it. Exactly. And then when you don't do it, I'm going to tell you about that too. And that's, that's something that apparently people that have never been in the military have a hard time with. They frown upon it a lot. They do. <laughs> they do. All right. So if you had some advice for anyone that was getting ready to either be a veteran or has been struggling on the veteran path for quite some time, what advice would that be? Well, if you're getting ready to ETS and get out of the military, before you get out, go to the VA, give them your paperwork, get in the system before you get out. That's your best bet. And the easiest way to get into it too, because They're already looking at you. Okay, he's getting out here. We can take over care once his TRICARE runs out. Bam, you're already in the system ready to go. And they can pull all your military paperwork and medical files prior to you coming out instead of having to go back to the base and getting them out of records and calling St. Louis and all that crap. You have to run around. You can already have it done. I wish someone would have told me that. Me too. It took me four and a half years of chasing paperwork to finally get it all into the system. It took me 10 years to file a claim. Wow. Yeah. And they service connected me. So it's never too late. Mm -hmm. Even if you feel like it is, it's never too late. Well, even a 0% service connection can be upgraded anytime in your life. Yeah. So if they say, okay, you have a knee injury, but it's not bothering you now. Mm Mm-hmm you know, 10 years down the road, they can do a full knee replacement. Yeah. And it's already in the system. And then something I didn't realize either with the VA is that even if you, they only service connect you at 0%, they'll still treat you for that specific. Ailment. Yes. So yes. 
Claim anything and everything that's ever bothered you in your life in the military. Yeah. Including your toenails. Yeah. Because then they'll, they'll always take care of that. So that was cool. I mean, I, my rating came back on the, I'm not a hundred percent by any means, but it came back high enough that I can get full healthcare through the VA. But if, if I couldn't, they were like still even a 0% because there are some things that are rated at 0%. They're like, that'll still get you care for those certain medical conditions, even if it's at 0%, like they'll still take care of you on that condition only. For my job in the military, I had to carry heavy things. So I've compressed and crushed my spine. And the VA sent me to this 90-year-old doctor. I swear he was older than anyone I've ever met in my life. And he said, oh, there's no problem there. So a couple months after that, I filed again to get a petition, and they sent it all the way up to federal court system to have a federal VA judge sign off to send me back to the doctor to a different one and come to find out I had crushed four vertebrae in my spine and they were holding on just barely. He said, if I had picked up a sack of cement, I could have crushed it all the way and been paralyzed. So he went in and screwed and glued and put it all back together. And the VA was like, well, I'm sorry, we didn't catch it. But that's when the VA system isn't what it was today. Yeah, the VA system has come a long way in the last few years. Yes. And that's also a good story to remind people to never take what the doctors say at face value. If you feel like they didn't diagnose you properly, get a second opinion. Exactly. And with the Community Care, the Mission Act being passed, that has accelerated it beyond belief because now you can get a third and fourth and fifth opinion mm-hmm. if you don't like the doctor. Right. You can just keep going and see if somebody changes and right. the VA will keep sending you. You have to be your own advocate for that though. They won't volunteer that. Exactly. So it's always important to like know your service officer and your liaisons and anyone that can help you at the VA navigate that system. Exactly. The longer we do these, I just, I need to, I need to, you need to put your claim in, girlfriend. Again. Taking notes. <laughs> I need to start over again. Yeah. Because obviously, I mean, mine was, a, I, I went for knee pain, my knees. I mean, my horrible knees. And my VA appointment was, I said, my left is worse than my right. And they sent me to go get an x-ray of my right knee and told me that nothing was wrong with either one of my knees. And that was the end. Well, now after you get your x-ray done, you can request community care. If you're so far from a VA facility or you have certain restrictions that keep you from going to a VA facility, I don't know about the Dallas area. Mm-hmm. The closest one to me is in uh, Big Spring, which is a hundred and something miles away. So as soon as you request community care, they send you a referral number and that'll give you the amount of visits you're allowed. And you can go see whatever doctor you want, mm-hmm. any specialist, anything outside of the VA. See, my thing, I just want these fakes. Like, <laughs> I know, I but like, I, I really do. And that's one of those things to where I don't need any, you can give me 0%. I don't care. Just fix my knees. 
I mean, yeah. I told my, they're re- in this weather this week that's here right now is killing my knees. I mean, I know that I have arthritis. It, it runs in my family, but the things that I did in the military, I progressed everything that could have gone on in my body. Exactly. And yeah. I just, just fix, just fix my knees. I, I'd love to wake up one day and be Nothing free of hurt. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I would recommend too to veterans and especially someone like you, Amber, is to get into the code before you file your claim or try to appeal your claim so that you know the keywords to put down that they're looking for. Well, there's a YouTube channel. You can look it up. It's for uh, veterans fighting VA claims. Uh, I don't know the channel name, but they tell you specifically what to say, how to fill out your paperwork to get the doctor and get the rating that you need. Mm -hmm. And they're professionals and they only lost two cases out of like 12,000. So you can look it up on YouTube and watch their videos and they'll specify what you need to say and how you need to address it in order to get to the doctor and the care you want. Right. And the care you need. I have to do all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It takes, it's not easy. Sometimes you have to put the research in and, you have to advocate for yourself because they're not going to, they're not going to go out of their way to help you. They'll help you once you're in there, but they're not going to go out of their way to get you where you need to be right. to help you need. Well, it took me saying that I'm going to get my lawyer in your office and take away your medical license mm-hmm. before they finally stepped up and said, okay, he's not playing. We're going to give him what he wants. And every time I call, they're like, okay, we got you scheduled next week. We got you scheduled tomorrow. This is your meds. They're on their way. We'll overnight them. You probably have a note in your file that says, don't mess with this guy. (laughs) Yeah. They hate the word lawyer. They do. Um, I'll give you that. They hate that word because they know they can lose everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially given the past couple of years, they're definitely not going to risk any of that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I will say... Based on my personal experience, the VA has gotten a lot better in the last couple of years. Yes, tremendously better. Like it's 180 turnaround. Yes, I agree. Pretty crazy. So that is cool. Well, Jeremy, if our listeners had more questions for you about your mental health journey, or if they just need someone to reach out and talk to you, where can they find you? You can put my email out. It's Perfect. open to anyone and everyone. I've got my TikTok account. It's at Veteran Woodworks 1985. They can Facebook me. Just look up my name and they can find me. Pretty much it. Just cool. whenever, wherever. Yeah, we'll put Jeremy's email and his TikTok and his Facebook into our show notes. So if anyone would like to contact Jeremy and continue this conversation with him, you can reach him at those places. Scale Executive Search is a veteran-owned and operated search firm serving aerospace, tech, and startup. They've managed to set themselves apart by not only understanding the job market, but also ensuring their candidates and clients are invested in not only their careers, but also themselves and their families. Amber, do you want to talk a little bit about the charity that we've chosen to support this episode? Of course I would. I usually say, sure, Amanda. So I was trying to change it up a little bit, but I still feel like I need to say, sure, Amanda. Sure, Amanda. (laughs) 
On top of our continuous support of the Till Valhalla project, we have also chosen to support the Fallen Outdoors, which is an organization by veterans for veterans that takes them hunting and fishing across the entire country in order to find out the nearest location to you and to get set up with them you can get on their website at thefallenoutdoors.org and they have a form on there for you to put put in your information the only requirement that they have is that you have a dd214 and in order to support Tilvahal Project and the Fallen Outdoors, we have merch for sale, veterans drinking vodka, hoodies, long sleeve shirts, t-shirts, tank tops, coffee cups, face masks, and koozies or stickers. Um, the link for the clothing apparel is on or in the show notes, if you'd like a koozie or a sticker, you can reach out to Amanda or myself. And how can they do that, Amanda? Well, if you would like a koozie or sticker, or if you would just like to contact Amber or myself for any reason, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Veterans Drinking Vodka. Or you can email us directly at veteransdrinkingvodka at gmail.com. Like Amanda said, please reach out to us if you need someone to talk to. Or if you're interested in telling your story and being a guest on our podcast, you can send us an email or a direct message on any of the social media platforms. If you like our podcast, subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Pandora, or wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. Good, bad, ugly, and different. Your feedback is critical to our success. And a rating also helps us stay up in the top spots of podcast world and their algorithm will get you out to, or get us and the veterans that are telling their stories out to more people to spread the message further. We can also be found on YouTube at Veterans Drinking Vodka for exclusive uncut video footage. Yes, you can find us there. You can also join us every Sunday for Veterans After Hours via Zoom. We start that at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We are hanging out, telling stories, sharing resources, and meeting new friends. We do have to put the disclaimer out there that it is a live networking event for veterans. We do invite civilians, veterans, and active duty members, but we are never sure what the topic of conversation is going to be. And if you want to see what happens when you put a bunch of veterans in a Zoom call all together, it gets interesting. So enter at your own risk. But the reason Amanda and I started this podcast was to bring about mental health awareness and the fact that 22 veterans kill themselves every day and 22 is 22 too many. One is too many. And you are never alone. Veterans, drink your vodka. Cheers. Cheers.